You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. Hey, if you have your Bible, will you grab that or your Bible app? And let's go to John's Gospel. And we're going to be in John chapter 10 together today. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Every time you come into the worship center, you'll find tables in the back of the room, and there are stacks of Bibles there. That's our gift to you. If you don't own a Bible, take one now or take one on your way out today. And just start reading that Bible and see what happens. See what happens. Uh, If you're willing and able, will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? We do this because we believe, as Scripture teaches us, that all Scripture is God-breathed. So this is God speaking to us now. Listen carefully to what he has to say. From John chapter 10, verses 7 to 14. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand, cares nothing for the sheep. I I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. The uh, the imagery of this passage, as I was studying it and praying over it this week, it really brought back memories of uh, our time in New Zealand. For three years, my family and I lived in New Zealand from 2012 to 2014. And I was a bivocational pastor at the time, so I I wore some different hats. Uh, For the majority of the week, this is where I pretty much live. This was my university where I was uh, a PhD student. I was a scholar, wannabe scholar. I was teaching Greek and teaching theology, and I was in the library. And I was studying hard pretty much Monday through Thursday or Friday, and this was a thriving university city. You know, students from all over the world came to study uh, there in Dunedin where we lived. But then, on the weekend, every week, we would drive south. We owned a little car. It was actually a a big car, a big wagon, an Elantra, I think it was, that we paid next to nothing for. It had like 300,000 kilometers on it. We called it Big Red. And our prayer life was great in those days. We prayed without ceasing because we never knew if Big Red was going to cease on her way on that drive south that we made every weekend. Because every weekend we would leave the, the thriving university city of Dunedin and we would drive south to a very rural community. Now let me tell you, if you think you have seen bad traffic in Tampa or in Orlando, you ain't seen nothing because here's what our traffic looked like. This is not an exaggeration. There were days where we just hit a complete stop driving south because the sheep just took over the road. This was a common thing. I don't know if you know this about New Zealand. There are more sheep than people there. More sheep than people. But once we finally made our way south, we were ministering in a beautiful part of the country called Awaka. This is kind of an aerial view to help you get the the change in scenery from that kind of thriving university setting to now here we are 
among the farmers. I pastored a small congregation in Owaka. It was composed mostly of dairy and sheep farmers, men who had lived their entire lives working with animals, working the land. Some of our best memories from those years are walking that rolling green country, having conversations with the the sheep farmers. Some of the elders in our church were these sheep farmers, and they got to know our boys really well. One of them, this is one of our elders named Gavin, and he taught Aiden how to feed the lambs. This is one of our other elders named Grant, and he loved to just put Cullen on his shoulders and walk through the, the farmland there. Look at all the sheep. You know, Wendell Berry, the American novelist, he says that uh, we don't choose our memories. Our memories choose us. We don't have all of our memories from New Zealand. Not all of them have chosen to stay with us, but some of them have. And every time I read a passage like John 10, the smell of sheep, it just comes right back to me. It's like we were there just yesterday. We've been in this series in the Gospel of John where we've been learning about who Jesus is. See, especially this time of the year as we enter into the holiday season, all around us are these pictures and these promises of the good life. The billboards, the ads, everywhere we go are pictures and promises of the good life. But what we're learning in this series is that Jesus is the only one, the only one who can provide that good life. Or as he says it in this passage today, the abundant life. The abundant life. We'll come back to the image of the sheep here in just a moment, but let's remember what we've learned thus far in this series. We've been looking at the seven I am sayings in John's gospel. Seven times in this gospel, Jesus says, I am, and then he fills in the blank with a metaphor that teaches us more about who he is and what he has done for us. In the very first week, we looked at John 6, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. What's your favorite kind of bread? When you go to the store, what do you buy? We buy uh, Dave's. Killer bread, or maybe it's Killer Dave's bread. I'm not sure how it goes. Whatever kind of bread you buy or bake, here's the way bread works. It nourishes us, right? If you don't eat, what happens to you? You die. But if you do eat, you live, but only for a while. Only for a while. You see, that's the problem with bread. It nourishes us temporarily. Jesus says, I will nourish you eternally. I will sustain you, not only through this life, but into the life to come. I am the bread of eternal life. Then last week, we looked at John 8 and 9, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. We learned that we all enter this world in a state of spiritual darkness, and darkness means I can't see. I can't see myself. I can't see you. I'm disconnected. I feel like I'm in a place of total disability. I can't do anything. I'm just lost in the darkness. And so the only hope for someone in the darkness is illumination, light. And Jesus says, I am that light. I will change the way you see creation. I'll change the way you see other people. I'll change the way you see yourself. Jesus is the light. Now today in John 10, we're looking at the next two of the I am sayings because they both occur here in the same chapter. Jesus will say today, I am the door or the gate... And also, I am the good shepherd. We'll look at both of these, but think for a second about the good shepherd. This is the only of the seven I am sayings that is personal. So this one is unique. Think about the others. I'm the bread, I'm the light, I'm the gate. Those reveal important things about who Jesus is and what he does for us. But only this one, I am the good shepherd, only this one reveals how Jesus feels about us. 
how he feels about you. He's the good shepherd. We'll learn what that means. But first, we need to get a sense of this big picture that Jesus is painting in John 10. See, these images, the gate and the good shepherd, they're part of a larger picture. And it's sort of a puzzling picture. Jesus describes it, and it leaves his original audience kind of scratching their heads. Let's begin with this big picture. Here it is. Look at the beginning of John 10. Jesus, with no introduction at all, just kind of launches into this description slash story. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This, this figure of speech, Jesus used with them, but they, the audience, they did not understand what he was saying to them. Jesus always speaks the truth, but he often tells it slant. He uses parables and images, symbols, that sometimes leave the audience scratching their head. They're confused, and that's what happened on this day. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates verse 6 in the message. He says, Jesus told them this simple story, and they had no idea what he was talking about, so he had to try again. Jesus will go on in John 10 to try again to describe the details of the story, but first, this big picture that he's painting. What is the setting? The reason that I showed you some of those pictures from my New Zealand days is because to understand what's happening in John 10, really, we need to think ourselves into another land, into another time, another world, really. We have to remove ourselves from this setting and think our way back into the ancient context. Jesus is saying these words to people who lived in an agrarian society. They knew all about farming. They knew all about animals. They knew all about sheep. He's using an analogy here where the shepherds and the sheep are key points in the story. Now, shepherding, as you probably know, is one of the oldest occupations in the world. And at this day, sheep farmers, shepherds, were extremely important. In fact, we could say it was an essential occupation. If there had been a pandemic in their day, the shepherds would have gone to work. They were essential. Every part of the sheep, every part of the sheep was a commodity. And the job of the shepherd was to care for these valuable, valuable animals, to provide everything they needed, to provide food, water, and protection. So during the day, the sheep would go out and they would graze, but at night, the shepherd would lead the sheep back to what Jesus refers to here as the sheepfold. The sheepfold was a place of protection for the sheep. Think of it as a fortress for the sheep. A large area made of wood or stone with thorns at the top of the walls, the ancient version of barbed wire. And the sheepfold had one door, one place of entry. The shepherd would lead the sheep back in the evening through that door into the place of safety. And then the next day, lead them out again to feed. So this is the picture that Jesus is painting, but he hasn't yet told us why he's painting it. He didn't tell the original audience why he was painting it, and so they're just scratching their heads. They're thinking, okay, Jesus, good story, so what? 
And so that's when Jesus tries again, to use Eugene Peterson's expression. He points now at two particular details of the story. And he says, that's me. That's me. That detail of the story, that's what I do for you. Two details of the story, not just one. The first one is the gate. Jesus says, I am the gate or I am the door. Verse 7, Jesus again said to them, I'm the door to this sheepfold. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus says, I am the door, I am the gate, I am the point of access. The point of access. Access to what, you might ask? Access to God. Access to God. Now that's quite a bold statement, isn't it? Look at what he says here. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from separation. We are sinners, you and I. And that means we are separated from God. We are separated from our Creator. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has gone its own way. That's the way Isaiah puts it in the Old Testament. We are separated from God because of our sin. Jesus claims to be the one who can bring that fractured fellowship, bring us back together with the God who made us. He claims to be the one who can provide salvation. I am the gate, he says. Now notice that there's an exclusivity to his statement here. Jesus does not say, I am a door, I am a gate. He says, I am the door, the gate, the one and only point of access to God. The only way for your relationship with your creator to be restored. Now how can Jesus say this? For now, I want you to just think about the exclusivity of his statement. We're going to come back to it in two weeks when we look at the sixth I am saying where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. For now, notice also, though, that there's an inclusivity to his statement. There is only one door to this sheepfold, the place of protection, the place of salvation. There's only one door, but anyone may enter. Anyone may enter. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. There is a door, and the door is open. It's open for you. This is not a wall you have to climb. See, this is the beautiful thing about Christianity. This is the good news of the gospel. It's not a wall you have to climb. It's a door that's open. There's no work required from you. We don't work for our salvation. Jesus says, I am the door. It's open. It's open. But of course, you must walk through the door. You must enter in. You must come to Jesus. You must believe in him. Do you remember why John wrote this gospel? You remember his purpose statement that we looked at in the very first week of this series? These things are written so that you might believe, John says. Believe. Maybe you've never had someone call you to believe in Jesus. Or maybe you've heard this call a hundred times before. And for whatever reason, you've always dismissed it. Well, here I am today... 
here you are. And here is Jesus in this passage saying, I'm the door. The door is open. It's open for you. Enter in. Believe. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Well, belief involves several parts of us, if you want to think of it that way. Belief involves our ears. We hear the gospel. We hear the gospel preached, the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. He died on the cross for our sins. He was raised. We hear it. It enters into our ears. Believing also involves the heart. The Holy Spirit works within us, changing our hearts, giving us new desires, drawing us to God. Belief also involves the head. We hear the gospel, the Spirit works within us, and we say, I believe this. I accept this as true. And then belief involves the mouth. We say it aloud. I believe this. I believe Jesus is who he says he is. I believe he died for me. We say it aloud to God in prayer. We say it aloud to others in witness. Jesus says to us, I'm the door. Enter. That door is open to you today. And understand that Jesus is not just the gate. You don't just come to him. You then walk with him. You follow him as the good shepherd. That's the next image he gives us here. The second detail of this story that he points to and says, that detail, that's me. The second one is the good shepherd. Now in our closing moments, I want to ask the question, why is Jesus the good shepherd? What is it that makes him good? Three things that are highlighted in the text. See them for yourself. The first one is, he's the good shepherd because he lays down his life for us. I am the good shepherd, verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus is telling us, listen, I'm not, I'm not like that hired hand. The hired hand was there because he wanted the money. He didn't care about the sheep. When danger came, when the wolf came, the hired hand just ran away. Take the sheep. Don't take me. Jesus isn't like that. When Jesus sees the wolf coming, he throws himself in front of the wolf. Jesus is saying, I love you enough to die for you. I did die for you. I laid down my life for you. That's how much I care about you. That's what makes him the good shepherd. He lays down his life for us in our place for our sins. But it's not just that. He also is the good shepherd because he leads us. Verse 3, the sheep hear the shepherd's voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Remember everything that the shepherd did for the sheep in the ancient world. The shepherd led them out of the sheepfold, led them to still waters, green pastures, provided the nourishment they needed. Basically, the shepherd did everything for the sheep. If you're a sheep, you need the shepherd for everything, everything. Now, let me ask you this. Are you following Jesus that way? Because here's what we tend to do, and I do this too, I'll be honest. 
We tend to say, Jesus, I need you to be my shepherd. I need your leadership. I need your guidance in this area of life, but not so much in this one. We say things like, Jesus, I really need your help financially. I'm struggling here. Can you provide? But stay out of my sex life. Stay out of my love life. I'm good over there. I don't know. Don't you see that if you're a sheep, you need the shepherd for everything. You must follow him comprehensively. He wants to guide you. He wants to guide you to the still waters, the green pastures, exactly what your soul needs. He's the good shepherd because he leads us. And finally, he's the good shepherd because he knows us. Verse 3 again. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice and he calls his own sheep by name. And then verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Now, there's one detail here that is just sort of crazy, if I'm honest. It's a crazy detail because it makes no sense. In the ancient world, shepherds knew their sheep well. That part is true. It's even true that a shepherd could spot, recognize his sheep from afar. And it's even true that the sheep would have recognized the shepherd's voice. But here's the one part of the story, the one part of this description that makes no sense. Shepherds never, never, never named their sheep. They didn't name them. Never did a shepherd stand in the door of the sheepfold and say, you know, on, on Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen or whatever. It just didn't happen. Never. So why add that detail to this description? Oh, don't you see? It's there to show the depths to which the Good Shepherd knows us. He knows your name. He knows everything about you and everything about me. We could say it like this. He knows you all the way to the bottom. All the way to the bottom. To the deepest and even the darkest, you. Now we're afraid of being known that way, aren't we? If we're honest, we're afraid of being known that way. We think that if people know us that way, even the people closest to us, our spouse, our children, our pastor, if people know us that way, all the way to the bottom, they'll turn on us. They'll reject us. They'll know all of our secrets. Jesus, the good shepherd, does know you that way. He does know you all the way to the bottom, and he doesn't turn on you. He doesn't turn on you. He turns on the wolf. He lays down his life for you. See, Jesus laid down his life for us, for us who are known all the way to the bottom so that we can be forgiven all the way to the bottom. All the way. Here's the way that a man named Dane Ortland puts it. I want to close with this quote. He has a powerful little book called Gentle and Lowly. If you're looking for a great book to read during the Advent season, it's written very much like a daily devotion type thing. Gentle and Lowly, the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. Listen to this. Listen carefully. Some of us need this today. We need to feel this in our hearts. Listen. We all tend to have some small pocket of our life where we have difficulty believing the forgiveness of God reaches. We say we are totally forgiven. 
And we sincerely believe our sins are forgiven pretty much anyway. But there's that one deep, dark part of our lives, even our present lives, that seems so intractable, so ugly, so beyond recovery. God's forgiving, redeeming, restoring touch reaches down into the darkest crevices of our souls. Those places where we are most ashamed, most defeated. And more than this, those crevices of sin are themselves the places where Christ loves us the most. His heart willingly goes there. His heart is most strongly drawn there. He knows us to the uttermost. And he saves us to the uttermost. We cannot sin our way out of his tender care. Jesus is the good, good shepherd. Will you pray with me? Oh, Jesus, with this powerful reminder of the good news of the gospel before us, there's only one thing we can do, and that is to express our thanks. Thank you for the way you have loved us, still love us, are loving us in this very moment. Thank you that you know us all the way to the bottom, and you save us all the way to the bottom. I pray, Lord Jesus, that if there's someone in this room today or someone who hears this message later that has never believed in you, that you would work in their hearts, draw them, give them the gift of new life, the gift of faith. May today be the day that they enter in they believe. And for those of us who have entered in, Lord, we want to follow you. We want to walk with you, trusting that you know what is best for us in every area of life. Forgive us. Forgive us for the times we've been stubborn selfish, prideful, arrogant, thinking we know best. All we like sheep have gone astray. Oh Lord Jesus, we want to follow you as the good shepherd, trusting you. Even when we don't fully understand, trusting your heart, we know we can because you gave your life for us. Thank you. We have much to be thankful for this week. First and foremost, we are thankful for the gospel. May it continue to transform our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.